again, we're going to jump back into our series in Acts. If you were wondering, we're in week 28, uh, and we are in Acts chapter 18. Uh, so um, we're going to be just in that first part of Acts chapter 18. If, you're, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some blue ones in the seats around you. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the big numbers are the chapters. So the book of Acts chapter 18, and we're going to actually start at the beginning of that chapter. Now, just to sort of set the stage for this section that we're going to cover today, the Apostle Paul has really kind of been through it as we get to Acts chapter 18. He's been through some tough stuff. Uh, on more than one occasion leading up to this point, Paul and those traveling with him uh, in different groups um, have on more than one occasion been essentially run out of town. Uh, they've been kicked out. They've been beaten. He's on what we call, at this point, his second missionary journey. Uh, so if you were to Google that, Paul's second missionary journey, you'll see that there's three uh, that people usually talk about. He's on his second one. Uh, and if you remember, his plan was to basically travel back to the places he went to on his first missionary journey and check in, see how those churches are doing that were planted, encourage those who were there. But on that trip, he sees a vision. He's led by the Holy Spirit to make his way into what was then called Macedonia, or today we would call that area Greece. So the gospel gets to Europe. Uh, and so Paul, although so passionate for the gospel, he is also just a regular person. Uh, the apostles, even the ones with the capital A, are just regular people. Uh, they don't have some special unction by God that makes them uh, able to deal with the things of life any more than you or I. Just like Old Testament figures uh, don't have any uh, other special uh, things going on other than they follow God. And so he's just a regular person. And at this point in this journey, he is exhausted. He is kind of beaten down. Now, we don't see him explicitly say it right here in this part of Acts. But if we look at the first letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, which is where he's going to be today, we see evidence of it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that I'll read to you. And Paul says this to the church at Corinth. And I, when I came to you, brothers, which is the story we're getting to today, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So there it is. That sounds like a person... Uh, who has just been through the ringer, right? I came to you in weakness. I, I was trembling. I was fearful. And yet, when Paul arrives in Corinth, some cool things happen. Some really encouraging, amazing things happen uh, to the point where later on in the Bible, we, we know that there is a thriving church in this crazy city. But the first thing that we see is that he meets Aquila and Priscilla, uh, a couple here. So starting in Acts chapter 18, we're going to look at verse 1. It says this, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. So this is how we know that Paul is a tent maker by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, so a little bit of background here. We see there that there's basically kind of a, an anti-Semitic stir that happens in Rome. And so this couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, is forced to move their business to Corinth. And this is a really uh, important thing. God uses this kind of stuff to do what he wants done in the world, right? So it's not just like accident that 
That happens in Rome, and they come to Corinth, and then Paul shows up there. That's not an accident. That's God orchestrating uh, situations and using situations for what he wants. Now, Priscilla uh, is an interesting name. It's a diminutive form of the name Prisca or Prisha, which is the name of one of a very prominent family at that time in Rome. So she is probably related to a very prominent family in some way or another. Whatever the connection is, she was an important woman. And here's what's interesting. In half of the occurrences of their name, she is mentioned first, which is highly unusual in the biblical text. Highly unusual for the woman to be named first. So she is really, really important. And also another example of how the Bible just subverts uh, the structures of power that exist in the world and says, nah, God's going to do it a different way. So her name is first in more than half or about half of the places that they're mentioned. So somehow they came to Christ and they meet with Paul. We don't know which happened first, uh, but they are a great encouragement, right? Imagine you're Paul and you meet people who believe the same thing you believe after you've just been beaten and kicked out of cities for preaching that thing, right? You'd be like, oh man, let's hang out. Uh, And so they're a great encouragement to Paul. In the final chapter of Romans, uh, Paul actually calls them his fellow workers in Christ Jesus. uh, And he says that they risked their necks for him. That's in Romans 16. So they are just like pillars of encouragement for Paul. They are great friends to the apostle. And so next... In verse 5, we see Silas and Timothy come back from Berea. Uh, you, if you want to go back and reread that part of Acts, you'll see why they got separated and where they were. But it says this in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, we'll get to what that means in a second, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So this is one of the places where we figure out and we know, what is a pastor supposed to do all week? This is... This is it. Occupy ourselves with the word. So we give uh, a lot of time during the week to studying so that we can stand up here and do this because it doesn't just magically pop out of your mouth. Uh, I know that you think that of me, but that's not what happens, right? So um, that's one of the, if you ever wondered to yourself, what does a pastor do all week? Well, a lot of reading uh, and thinking. That's pretty much uh, what I do. And, And a helpful way to think about it, because yes, I am paid by the church to do that partly by you, uh, what you give. And so my dad told me this when I, was, when I was just beginning to be trained in ministry. He said, remember, they're not paying you to do a job. They're paying you so that you don't have to have a job, so that you can exercise those gifts in ministry. That's what being a pastor is. Uh, it's not a profession like other professions. Instead, it's a calling. Uh, and so thankful for that. But that, I just want to point out, is what much of the time of a pastor is spent doing, occupied with the word. So Silas and Timothy bring two really important things to them, actually three, but two that they bring are, number one, good news about the Thessalonian church. Uh, It says in 1 Thessalonians that their faith and their love were standing firm. So they bring that news to Paul, really encouraging for him. And they bring a missionary offering from Philippi. We see this in 2 Corinthians 11 and in Philippians 4, so that Paul is free to occupy himself with the word. The the literal translation there is to hold himself to the word. So to not be distracted by the other things. You remember back to Acts chapter 6 when we had the commissioning of deacons to take care of uh, the bread being passed out so that the apostles could focus on the word. That's what's happening again here. So they bring this 
uh, offering from Philippi so that Paul can really hold himself to the word. And so all of this is in addition to the third thing that they bring, which is just their own presence, which is a blessing to Paul, right? I mean, he's now got two new friends in the city, but to see some familiar faces who he's been through it with a little bit would be really encouraging to him. Don't forget even, uh, even more so Timothy calls, uh, or Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. So he's really close and he really cares about uh, these men. But here's what's most important, uh, and that's what we see next, which is that the gospel starts to do its thing in Corinth. It starts to spread and see people come to know and love Jesus. Look at verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now, this is amazing, right? You would think Paul would be nothing but happy. And so we can see that he has tons of reasons to be encouraged, right? He's got Priscilla and Aquila, Silas and Timothy, financial help. He's got a full-time ministry that's seeing amazing results here. He's on mission and it's happening. And yet in the midst of all this, we know that Paul feels discouraged and afraid. And the way that we know that is by what God speaks to him in a vision in verses 9 and 10. Here we go, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. So what do we see there? Paul's afraid to keep speaking, right? Otherwise God wouldn't say this to him. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now here is a really, really important reality for us to come to terms with as we read Acts, which is a recounting of the beginnings of the church. Uh, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the reality of the sin and the brokenness of the world that he is encountering as he is seeking to bring the kingdom of God to bear on it, right? And we've talked about what's the kingdom of God. Well, think about it in terms of like an economy. It's the way of things in God's kingdom, right, is, is that idea of the kingdom of God, that there's a way of being, a reality that exists that is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And Paul is seeking through the gospel of Jesus to bring the kingdom of, of God to bear on this city. Uh, and, and so he is dealing with the reality and the sin uh, and the brokenness that's going on in the city of Corinth. Uh, many of you might remember my father-in-law uh, who preached here many times over the last uh, five or so years. Um, and, and he was a pastor but he was also a Christian counselor, had his own counseling practice for a long time. And one of the many things he told me over the 20 years or so that I knew him, uh, since the time I was a, like a teenager, um, he, he would tell me that you know every so often, because of the things I hear both as a pastor and as a counselor, every so often I need a good cry. He would say like about every four to six months, I got to just cry hard because of the things that I see going on in people's Lives. And that's kind of what's happening here for Paul. He has had difficulty after difficulty leading up to this point, right? And I don't know if you've ever been through a season where you've had hard thing after hard thing after hard thing, but you find yourself, this is what happens to me, I find myself sleeping really hard. Like I'm, my body is spent from that emotional uh, toll that it takes. Not only was, did Paul have a physical toll, right? He got beaten, but also... It, like, think about the emotional trauma that he's been through. So this is where he is. He's had difficult encounter after difficult encounter, and he's simply, like anyone else would be, he's simply worn down. 
right? He needs time to process, recover from the physical, the emotional stress he'd been under. And he is simply worn down. And here, even though it seems like he shouldn't be, he is discouraged and he is tired. And I point this out just to gently put in front of you, again, the reality that nowhere in the life of Jesus, as we see it in the Gospels, nowhere in the life of his followers do we see an example that following Jesus will lead to constant health and constant wealth and ease. It's not in there. Which also means that if there are some of you who are feeling discouraged because you're trying to help people see the beauty of Jesus in word and in deed, you aren't necessarily doing anything wrong if difficulties are coming. In fact, you're right in line with the Apostle Paul here. So be encouraged. So we see that Paul is tired, and so now he faces the kind of depressing moral decay of Corinth. Corinth uh, had this reputation over about 500 years with this saying uh, kind of sprouted up in the, the zeitgeist of the culture, if you will, right? Where uh, to Corinthianize meant to be sexually deviant and immoral. That, that's what their city was known for. So in my mind, I was thinking of a parallel, and it's essentially what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like that idea, right? Whatever that means to you, that's kind of this town. Every night, in the city of Corinth, about a thousand prostitutes would descend on what was called the Acra Corinth to work their trade in the worship of Aphrodite. So this is what's going on in the city of Corinth. You could buy anything you wanted, and I mean anything deviant thing you can think of that you wanted, you could buy in Corinth if you had money. Okay, So sexual deviancy of all kind was just rampant in Corinth. And in fact, when Paul wrote Romans chapter 1, this is what he was describing. He was describing what he saw in Corinth. Listen to these words. This is Paul just talking about uh, Corinth in Romans chapter 1. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So this is what Paul is looking at, and he's discouraged. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of, of thinking, I want to do some evangelism. And if people are on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being ready to accept Jesus, you look out and your assumption is that people are at a zero and you're like, there's no way I'm going to do this, right? We Christians, many times we, we make the mistake of thinking, well, if I can just find a group of people that are already like at an eight or a nine, and I just got to get them over the edge, then I'll be really doing evangelism. And what Paul is looking at is a bunch of people who seemingly to him have no interest in Jesus or the gospel. And yet, in the midst of this sort of despondency, he needs some encouragement. He needs some encouragement because he had become discouraged, fearful, insecure. And so in the midst of all this, God ministers to him through a vision and God speaks words of refreshment. And maybe some of us following Jesus need to hear these words this morning. So again, let's look back at verses 9 and 10. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. 
and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, it's important for us to kind of make a distinction in that text between there's a promise in there that's pretty general, and there's a promise in that sentence that's pretty specific to Paul. And we're going to get to that. But what does God begin with? He begins by saying, do not be afraid. Paul had given himself over to fear and discouragement, apparently, even though he's experiencing spiritual success, like ministry success, right? So that seems strange until you think about the pattern that has happened multiple times in Paul's ministry in recent memory for him, right? His past success is what leads him into persecution and pain. Think about the pattern that he's been through. This is true in Pisidian Antioch, in Lystra, in Philippi, Thessalonica, in Berea, and in uh, its own way in Athens. He has ministry success, and then persecution happens, and he gets run out of town, or he gets beaten, or whatever. So now in Corinth... Right? The apostle leads Crispus, the head rabbi of the synagogue, to Jesus, and he's like, Well, I know what step two is, and I don't really want it. Step one is preach the gospel. Some people believe and trust in Jesus. And for Paul, step two is get beaten, get dragged to court, get kicked out of town. So, like, I'm cool with step one, but like, I don't, I'm afraid of step two. And so, from his perspective, the immediate future was predictable. There's going to be some kind of riot. He'll be accused. He'll possibly be beaten. And so the pattern is pretty clear. And he's doing what so many of us do when it comes to worry, right? He's worrying about troubles that he's not actually even facing yet. One of the commentators I read this week called this borrowing trouble, right? Like borrowing money. But think about it. When we borrow trouble, we get the trouble now, we get the anxiety now, but we still have to have it later when it actually happens and it actually compounds interest and we have to pay more of it, right? Like borrowing money. I like that word picture of borrowing trouble. Why in the world would we do that? What did Jesus tell us? Tomorrow has enough troubles for itself. Don't borrow the troubles for tomorrow for today because you're still going to have them tomorrow. This... This hit me super hard this week when I was thinking about this. I'm a professional at this. We feel, we feel kind of harassed, right, in our spirit, in our soul, in our emotions as we wait for something that's like we think is going to be disastrous, it's going to be unpleasant to happen. Like we just know that that social thing that's going to happen is going to be super awkward. I'm going to see this person who I'm fighting with. Oh, I don't want to see him. It's going to be the worst, right? We're sure that somebody is going to take our words the wrong way and misconstrue our character. They're going to post something about me on social media that's not true and I'm not going to be able to defend them all. We have all this stuff and we go through all this trouble that maybe we weren't ever meant to go through and we probably never will but we borrow trouble from tomorrow and put it on today and this is kind of what Paul is doing here see the fact that God made the effort to encourage Paul not to fear means that God loves and cares for Paul that's a refrain you're going to see all over the Bible don't be afraid don't be afraid have no fear it means that God loved and cared for his child, Paul. And the reason that this is in your Bible, that Luke wrote this down, is so that you would read this and you would know that you also, being God's child, are loved for and cared for by 
God just like Paul. And so over and over, the scriptures tell us to fear not, to stop worrying about tomorrow, to stop borrowing trouble because God loves us and God's love is enough for us today. And today is all you have. And so the next thing that Paul is told by God is to go on speaking and to not be silent. I I like to think of rephrasing this for us as just do the next right thing, Paul. Keep doing the next right thing, which for you is to keep speaking and not to be silent. See, Paul's fear had made him afraid to speak now. He's like, ooh, I've had success, but if I keep talking, I'm going to borrow some trouble for tomorrow when I'm going to get beat up or thrown out of town or whatever. And so God knows that silence like that, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus, when we give in to fear, fear creates a prison around us. And it's difficult to escape. And so it's to Paul's credit and to our encouragement that Paul, what does he do? Don't give Paul the credit for being so brave. All he did was obey God. All you have to do is obey the words of God and leave it up to him what happens. As Paul later wrote, his weak condition actually is what prepared him for the perfection of God's power within him. This is always the way of God. 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What is he saying to the Corinthians? I didn't come to you and outlogic you. I came to you in fear, just obeying what God told me to do, and the Spirit overcame all that stuff, and some of you believed. See, weakness, this is one of the the threads that runs through the whole Bible. Weakness is the subversive strength of God's most effective witnesses. God uses those who are the most unlikely to accomplish big things. If you're feeling weak and fearful, it's now is the time to speak up and not give in to that fear and not be silent because when you do that, you will be relying on him to make his power perfect in your weakness, right? When you speak and you're eloquent because it's you, then people go, oh, you're such a great speaker. When you speak and it's because of the power of the spirit, people go, wow, that must be a great God that you serve. And so whatever you do, whatever is accomplished when you're willing to obey God, even in the middle of your discouragement and your fear, whatever gets accomplished will be by the power of God and it will be for the glory of God, right? Jesus told us, do good works. Why? Because on that day they will see that and glorify your father, not you. And so we see this admonition to Paul. Uh, Next, we see that God tells Paul not only to not be afraid and encourage Paul to keep speaking and ministering, But lastly, we see God make the same promise to Paul as Jesus made to all of us. So this is how we know this part of the promise is general for all of us who believe because it's the same one is made to other believers in other parts of the scriptures. Verse 10, God says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Why? Because I am with you. I am with you. So why should you not be afraid? Why should you keep doing the will of God? It's simple because God is with you. That's the entire mission of God wrapped up in its most simple form, God with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. 
Emmanuel, God with us. And for Paul uh, here, there's a very specific promise that goes along with that general promise of God's presence. God tells Paul, look, no one's going to attack you or harm you in Corinth. No one's going to attack you or harm being here in Corinth. Now, that had not been true in previous time for Paul, right? He'd been in other cities and God didn't make him that promise and he did get attacked and harmed. And it's not going to be true in the future for Paul because we have the record of what's going to happen to Paul. Other bad stuff's going to happen to him. But for this particular window of time, it's true because God promised it and God cannot break his promises. Now, here's the final piece of this word to Paul and by extension to us this morning, the end of chapter 10. This is an encouraging little word to Paul. God says, I have many in this city who are my people. Now, again, thinking of what Corinth was, those are encouraging words because for Paul, it meant that there would be fruit to his labor in Corinth. God is letting Paul know that as bleak as it might look, as bad as you can look out on your neighborhood and be like, man, people really running away from God, right? Some of the Corinthians are tired of chasing after their pleasure. There are people around you who, although they are living in a way that looks nothing like they want to follow Jesus, they're kind of tired of it. They just don't know what else to do. There were those in Corinth, just like there are in your life and in my life, who are suffering with maybe guilt over the way their life is going. Maybe they're dealing with this emptiness of soul that is just gnawing at them. And so they just keep going through the motions of what they've always done, and it's not working, and every time it doesn't work, it gets worse, so they go to it again, right? Jesus, when he looked out over the crowd in the Gospels, he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and what did he feel? Compassion for them. Not judgment. He felt compassion for people who seemed to be this way. And so what God is telling Paul is there are people ready to receive Jesus you don't even know about. These people are people who are actually um, named later in Paul's letters. There are people from this moment that are named letters, named later in Paul's letters. So, So what we see then is that according to verses 18 to 11, what happens here is that Paul stays in Corinth for like a year and a half, about 18 months. That's a long time for Paul in this part of his life. That's like putting down roots for Paul. And so it's not long then that there's probably hundreds of believers. People had turned away from what they were running towards and they had turned to Jesus. Uh, and, and so then persecution did come. Persecution did come. When the Jews took him before uh, the proconsul Galileo, I don't know what that noise is from. Maybe my mic. Let's see. It might be from one of the other mics. You guys hear that, right? Okay. Uh Uh-oh, if you didn't. (laughs) So what happens uh, the rest of the time is that, according to verses 11 to 18, Paul stays in Corinth for for a year and a half. Uh, Persecution comes. And for Galileo, who actually, this was interesting, if you know... Um, so, some history. This is Seneca's brother, if you know the great philosopher Seneca. Uh, and they charged him with basically illicit religion, like this bad religion. Uh, and so that opposition backfires. And so for a time, 
Paul and his followers enjoy more freedom than they'd ever had before in this part of Acts 18. Now, some of us, as we kind of wrap it up this morning, some of us uh, maybe are in here and we are discouraged. Maybe we're feeling like Paul, we, we are fearing an uncertain future. Maybe some of us know that God has called us to do something, but we just are afraid to do it because of our past experience, whatever that looks like. Some of us maybe even are seeing encouraging things happening, but we're afraid they're not going to last and that hard times are right around the corner. And so God has a message for us in this story this morning. And here it is. Don't be afraid, right? Stop borrowing trouble from tomorrow. Look to me, God saying, I love you. I care for you. Keep caring for the people you're caring for. Keep speaking truth to people in your life. Keep ministering to people. Keep speaking my name. God wants to remind us shrinking back in fear is not, is not going to solve any problems for you. In fact, it's just going to enslave you to the fear itself. God, I think, is saying to us, trust that I'm with you, that I'll give you all the protection that you need. Trust, and this is a big one for us, trust that there are those in your life right now who are ready to hear and to see the gospel displayed in your life, and they are ready to respond to it. And God is just allowing us to be part of that. There are people who you think want nothing to do with Jesus that probably are ready to hear the good news about Jesus because they're chasing after the wind like the people in Corinth. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the time we've had this morning. Thank you for the stories that we can read about in the book of Acts. Thank you that this is what we are connected to. We are part of this story that we see in the book of Acts as these chapters unfold. And so, Lord, we, again, just thank you for the time we've had this morning to be together. Thank you for the kids that are part of our church family that uh, bring so much energy and joy to us. Uh, Lord, may we never take it for granted. Uh, and Lord, as we go out from here in, in a little while, would you just bless the rest of our day as we maybe take some time to uh, be with family and relax and uh, enjoy your goodness in our life. And we pray this in your name, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.